Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So yesterday, the family and I, we went to the beach, you know, normal weekend stuff. Just thought, have you ever thought about that? We just go to the beach whenever we want. If you grew up here, you don't understand how awesome that is, by the way. But just saying that makes me remember of how awesome it is to live here, right? So went to the beach, normal weekend stuff, and Troy and I were throwing the football in the water. Then Troy yelled out, he said, Dad, behind you. And if you're in the ocean and someone yells behind you, it's never comforting, is it? (laughs) Well, lo and behold, there was a shark about five foot from us. First time ever seen a shark in its natural habitat. And uh, we go to the beach quite frequently, so I guess the odds are it was bound to happen, but we really did see a shark. So I yelled at my other kids to get out of the water. They ran out of the water, and we told people from the left and people to the right. We saw the shark. A couple of other people saw it. Noah wasn't dreaming. Yes, it really was a shark, and it was, it was close. And so we, we told these people, they started getting out of the water like you should, and then well, you, there was two people. There was one person that continued to boogie board. And I just looked at this lady and I was like, man, I don't know how much you paid for your vacation, but it's not worth it. <laughs> you know, it was like a $10 boogie board. You could tell this wasn't something she did all the time. And I'm going, did, did she not hear us? Or is she just oblivious to everybody else gone? And there was another guy. He was a tough guy. He was explaining how this is their natural habitat. And sharks, they, they won't really mess with you. And I looked at him, I said, I said, I said, buddy, sharks bite people all the time. Where are you from? What are you doing? It was the weirdest thing. He was trying to talk everybody about how it's not a big, but he wasn't in the water. <laughs> you know, and I was like, all right, tough guy. You're not in there, though. You're staying out with the shore. And I bring all this up. No, because first I saw a shark here. It was really cool. So I have to tell you about that. But also because there was a real threat. It was real danger. I mean, the more I think about it, it was probably like 70 foot is what I think. I don't remember how big it was. But you know, the more you think about it, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, it's what happened to me. Okay, so anyways, but there was a real threat. There was, there was something really going on, and there was two people. One was just oblivious. She was busy with her $10 boogie board, distracted, wasn't paying attention to the real danger. And then you had the tough guy arguing with everybody. And, and I was thinking about, well, well, today, as we talk about what we're going to talk about, please don't be that person distracted over something, because what we're going to talk about is going to be pretty important. Real important. Don't be distracted over a $10 boogie board or a text message that will be there in 30, all right, 40 minutes. We're not going to lie. All right, 40 minutes. It'll still be there. And don't just argue because we like to do that sometimes, don't we? Just let me, let me present my case. Let me talk to you what we're going to talk about because we're going to talk about it in a way that may bother some of you. And, and, I, and I'm glad. I'm good with that. I'm, I want you to think through it. But don't just sit back and argue. Think through it with me. Listen. And let's see what the Bible says to us today because... Well, we got something important. Here, well, let's just jump into questions. Here's what they were. What about once saved, always saved? If a person loses, I'm lumping all these together, same idea. If a person loses contact with God after baptism, is he or she still heaven bound? Then we have what happens when you turn your back on Jesus? And then can you 
lose your salvation. Now, here's the thing. If you're asking these questions for somebody else, I just need you to know these are unanswerable questions. We can't answer questions about other people's salvation, and we never truly know what's going on in the heart of other people. And, and what I believe is going on, at least in some of these, is there's a concerned grandma, there's a concerned mom, well, maybe dad, but probably grandma or mom, who's seriously concerned about one of their children or something like that. And listen, I understand. I remember my grandfather who openly rejected the gospel. I mean, openly, and I was always concerned about his salvation. He had no interest in the gospel. He had no interest in Jesus. And towards later in his life, as he, as he got older, he got mean about it. And anytime we try to talk about it or bring it up, I mean, he would get very mean. And that's your granddad. You know, and so there's this weird dynamic at play. So I understand how it can concern you and how you can worry about it. And I just pray and I hope that my grandfather made a decision that I don't know about. That he gave his life to the Lord maybe at the end, and, and I just don't know. At least that's, that's my hope. And so if you are concerned about someone, if that's where this is question's coming from, the truth is you don't know what's going on in here, so don't, don't think about them. Think about you. And if you have someone that you're concerned about, I just tell you to pray. Pray and pray and remember that God loves them more than you do. That's hard to think and that's hard to imagine, but it's true. So if you're dealing with that, and if you got that, to, to that advice, just pray for those people. But if you're worried about yourself, well, I understand that. I personally have struggled, and I hope, and I think probably all of us to some extent have wondered if they were saved. I mean, haven't you ever wondered, or I'll just tell you about me, I've wondered quite often, said, do I really believe that stuff? You're like, well, yes, Irina, go, are you? Do I actually believe that? I'm not too sure. And do I believe enough? Or am I doing the right things? I wonder, am I even saved? I don't ask those questions near as much as I used to, but I still ask them. I still struggle with doubting and unbelief as much as everybody else, perhaps. You're not the only one. And if you've never questioned your salvation, you've never doubted, I'm actually far more concerned for you and if you haven't, because look what Paul tells us, Philippians 2 says this. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and will to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. So Paul says to work out your salvation, to think through your salvation with fear and trembling. And, and evidently, whatever it means, it definitely means to put some thought into it, to think about it, to dwell on it, to, to think about what God is doing. Because if God wants to do something, do his good works in you and fulfill his good purposes in you, well, there should be evidence of that. We should, see his, we should see his will. We should see his purposes coming out in our lives. And listen, if you're not concerned about doing what God wants you to do, if following Jesus isn't even on your radar, that concerns me far more than if you have questions or doubts. So let's talk about it. How do you know if you're saved? 
I mean, how do you know if you're saved? Is it because you said a prayer once and somebody told you to write the date down in the front of your Bible? And if you ever doubted, you could go back and look at it. Y'all heard that, right? Where did, y'all didn't grow up with good preaching. Then I'm telling you, you should have heard something like that before. Is it because you were baptized once? You said, well, I was baptized or my parents baptized me. I was baptized, so I'm good. Is it because you believed enough? In fact, how much do you have to believe before it outweighs how much you don't believe it to where the belief actually counts as belief and not doubts? You ever think through all that? What do y'all do all day if you're not thinking about this kind of stuff? You're like, Brian, we're working. Like, we work for a living. This is what you think. Yes, this is what I think about. Are you saved because you had perfect church attendance pre-COVID? Pre-COVID, right? We know, not during, right? I mean, how do we know if we're even saved? And, And in fact, how come the way we talk about being saved and the way we talk about salvation, why doesn't Jesus ever say those kind of things? Why doesn't he ever talk the same way we talk? Why do we have it summed up almost like a product you purchase instead of something different? And Jesus doesn't say those things. In fact, when you think about it, like the rich young ruler, which is a story that always has blown my mind, he comes to Jesus and says, how how do I be saved? How can I get eternal life? What did Jesus say? Well, go sell everything. We're like, wait, Jesus, no, no, no. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to do an altar call, play just as I am or come as, right? Do that. They're supposed to come up front. Jesus, didn't you get the memo? To which we laugh, but I've got the emails about why don't I do those things? But Jesus didn't. That's not how Jesus dealt with salvation. That's not his call to salvation. And and I wonder why do we talk about it so different than the man who will provide it? And died for it. It's an interesting question. But thankfully, you know, I wouldn't set something up like that if I didn't have some answers, right? We're like, whew. Thankfully, thankfully, the beloved disciple, the beloved apostle, John, gives us an insight on what salvation should look like. He brings clarity. He, he brings clarity through this messiness and the doubts where we try to figure out what does it look like to be saved or how can, what does this even mean? And he makes it so simple. He makes it so clear, but clarity brings conviction. We're going to have to deal with that. What John says just gives us, he just cuts through the middle of it, and I don't want you to miss it. Here's what he says, John 1.5. He says, this is the message we have, excuse me, 1 John 1.5. said, this then is the message we have heard from him. Who's him? Yeah, Jesus, okay. And declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Let's just pause. I'm sure you get the lightness, darkness. We we probably get that pretty good. All right, God is pure. God is holy. God is just. And to state the obvious, there's a difference between light and darkness. Would we agree? There's a difference between light and dark. Our culture, I'm just making clear, right? Making sure we understand the difference between light and darkness. Because right now there's weird blurriness everywhere. But this is pretty clear. There's light and there's darkness. He's setting up. There's two ways to live. He's setting the stage. And they're different. He says, if, verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness. Y'all thought I was rough. We lie. And... Do not live out the truth. 
This brings clarity, doesn't it? If we claim to have fellowship, that means partnership, a relationship. If we claim to be in this relationship with God, with Jesus, and yet we walk, live a lifestyle of sin, of darkness, then we're lying. Pretty clear, isn't it? He said we're lying. In other words, we have to make a choice. And what I want to point out, what we're going to spend time on, is this idea of a fellowship. He doesn't say, hey, if you said a prayer once, if you were baptized once, if you came out front, if you wrote the date in your Bible, if you went to church with your grandma, that's not what he says. That's not what faith is about, and that's not what people are actually concerned about when we read the Gospels, when we read the letters of Paul and Peter and the apostles. It says if we claim to have fellowship, that's a relationship, that's a partnership. If we claim to have a relationship with him, then we'll live that out. See, relationship with Jesus, relationship with God is a journey. It's an ongoing thing. Nowhere in the Bible, I mean absolutely nowhere, is this idea of being saved and then continuing a life of sin. Nowhere. We want comfort in that, but the Bible does not give us comfort in that. They present it as a choice. We walk in the light, we walk with Jesus, or we're walking in darkness. If we're fooled somehow to think that we can walk in the darkness and still have a relationship, he says we we lie. So let me just make this clear for you. You're either walking in Christ or you're not. We're like, yeah, but it's like, no, this is you're either walking in Christ or you're not. We have to make that choice. He says it again in 1 John chapter 2. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but you'll see. He says, We know that we have come to know him. This is assurance. You want assurance of your salvation? We all want assurance of our salvation. How do we know if we're saved? He tells us, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. How do you have assurance of salvation? If you're doing the things Jesus asked you to do, you're like, No, 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 I don't want to do the things Jesus asked me to do, but I don't want to go to hell. Like, just, let's just talk about it a different way then. If we want assurance, it's following him. It's keeping his commands. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Assurance of salvation comes from following and listening to Jesus. If we are not concerned about the things of God, we should not have assurance of knowing God. You say, Brian, does that mean I don't know him? I didn't say that. If you're not following Jesus, you shouldn't have assurance that you know Jesus. If you want assurance of your salvation, what will you do? Yeah, you're going to be concerned about the things of God. That's just the way that works. It's pretty clear. 1 John 1, 7, he says this. Jumping back now, I went to 2 to explain where he went. Now we're coming back. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light, rather than darkness, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So if we walk in the light, first we'll be walking with Jesus. And walking in the light is being open to God. It's being open to the revelation found in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ. And walking in darkness is a refusal to be of the things of God, to follow Jesus, to fellowship with his people. 
And what's amazing is as we walk, he says, we'll we'll have fellowship with one another. So he's saying, as we walk on this journey, as we walk in our relationship with God, we're going to come alongside and see other people and other Christians going on the journey. Now, the imagery should be amazing. It should open your eyes. And and the word picture is awesome. It's, It's us on this journey of life. On this path of life, all of us are walking, we're going down and, and we choose instead of walking this path of darkness, we choose to walk this path of light. And so we walk down this road to follow Jesus. And what we find as we're traveling down the road of following Jesus, we find other people down the same road, other people along the same journey. Next thing you know, we're going together, collective. We're walking together on this journey of faith. In other words, if your relationship with Jesus takes you in isolation, it's not a relationship with Jesus. Jesus doesn't take you to a place of isolation to be a Lone Ranger Christian. Jesus takes you to the place of coming around his other brothers and sisters, other Christians, and living this life together. You see, the enemy, he wants to keep you isolated. He wants to keep you away. He wants to keep you all to himself so he can just keep repeating the same old lies that you're not good enough. You'll never be worth anything. You're not smart enough. No one will understand you. You're worthless. Think, Brian, how did you know? Because we all hear it. Every single one of us in isolation, we just keep hearing it and we don't have anybody to refute it. We don't have anybody encouraging us. We're just by ourselves and that's not good. Don't listen to those lies. Walk into the light. Walk into the relationship with the other brothers and sisters in Christ to help you on this journey. Because no matter what you've done, no matter what you've gone through, we all need the blood of Jesus Christ. Because it's the blood of Jesus, his son, that purifies us from all sin. The truth of the matter is none of us are good enough. But because of Christ, we are all children of God. And because of Jesus Christ, then we are all good enough. Not because of us, but because of of him. You see, Jesus purifies us. The point isn't about us being good. We're not saved because we do good works, but the good works is evidence that we are saved. It all starts with the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's continue on. How about this? When you think of salvation, this idea of being saved and salvation, do you think more of an insurance policy or marriage? Do you think of more of an insurance policy or marriage? If salvation is like fire insurance, it gets rather complicated rather fast. We have to think about renewal dates. We have to think about the little small letters about the things they really don't, right? You buy a policy and it doesn't actually cover the things you wanted it to cover. There's another policy, right? It gets all complicated, all convoluted. We don't even remember if we have it. In fact, if we bought the policy, we filed it away in a cabinet somewhere. We don't even know if we still have the policy. Y'all ever dealt with insurance? I know some of y'all sell insurance agents. Forgive me, okay? I didn't know what to talk about. Right, insurance, if if salvation is this thing like insurance that we purchase and we store away somewhere over there for one day, if something happens, then we've missed the idea of salvation. Salvation isn't like a fire insurance policy. Salvation is more like marriage. Do you know I've never had to ask the question, am I married? Not once. 
Never, ha- never wondered if I was in a relationship with my wife. But why is it then we asked about salvation? If it's a relationship, I never question am I married? In fact, being married, it changes everything. I mean, I can remember the vow I made. I, I can point to the time I made a decision and I openly in front of people committed. Yes, I am, I am committed to this person. And I remember that decision impacted then every other area of my life. I can promise you my marriage affects my job. It affects my education. It affects my playtime. I don't have enough of it. Don't tell her. She's not here. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> right? Marriage affects absolutely everything in my life. And, and if I don't think about my marriage and I make a decision on my own, marriage impacts every decision I've ever made. It comes back around. So think about it. When we think about a relationship with Jesus, do we think about it as a marriage that impacts every other decision? Or is our salvation like a policy we put in place, put in a lot box down here somewhere, and then we live our life. And just in case we get into trouble, I go back to the file cabinet. I looked at the policy to see if it gets me out of trouble. Think about it. Because we never question, are we married? We never wonder if we lost our marriage. We may say, should I be married? Am I good enough to be married? Why is she still married to me? But we never wonder if we are. See, unlike insurance, I can't make a marriage vow for someone else either. This is why it's a personal responsibility thing. I can only make it for myself. And listen, Jesus didn't ask you to purchase a policy. He invited you into a relationship with him. It's a very different thing. One that will impact every area of your life. And yes, it takes time. And yes, it's going to keep growing and getting better, just like every other relationship should. And that's why Jesus, that's why John says, well, you're assured if you're following Jesus, if you're listening to the commands of Jesus, if you're listening to Jesus, if you're in fellowship with Jesus. Like if we don't know Jesus, if we're not interested in Jesus, if we're not interested in the things of God or the things of Jesus, Should we be assured of salvation? Absolutely not. And I wouldn't want to give you a false sense of security. Now, your objection, we say, well, Brian, but I believe. I believe. And I'd say, good. But even the demons believe and shudder. To quote James, that is, the brother of Jesus, he says this. He says, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So just because you acknowledge Jesus exists doesn't save you. I mean, the demons do that. They know that. But they don't choose to follow him. They reject him. They want to live a life void of him. And if that's you, I need you to be honest with yourself. Think about it. Are you living more like a demon or more like a follower of Jesus Christ? There's a difference. See, a disciple, a follower of Jesus is being transformed by Jesus. He's being committed to the things of Jesus. And that's what he wants from all of us. He wants a relationship. And nowhere, nowhere are we comforted if we're living a life of sin. We're living a life in sin. Nowhere are we comforted about our faith in Christ. Number two is 
Does that mean we have to be perfect? Sounds like it, doesn't it? It sounds like we have to be perfect in order to be saved. Thank goodness he wasn't done yet. Let's keep going. 1 John 8 through 10, he says, if we claim to be without sin, so we say we have to walk in the light, you remember. He says, and if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. What a relief. It sounds like we have to walk perfectly in the light in order to be seen, but John's like, no, 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 no. He's like, no, you're not going to be perfect. Like, that, that's, that's not a thing. In fact, if you think you're perfect and you think you don't sin, he called you a liar again. Well, actually, he says you called God a liar. That's even worse. But he says you claim without sin, you deceive yourself. So you're lying to yourself, he says. So basically, look, we have to walk with Jesus. We have to walk in the light or we walk in the life of sin. But what about the sin we commit? He's like, yeah, no, no, no. If you're following Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to sin. Like, that's going to happen. But we confess. What does 1 John say? If we what? If we confess our sins, he was faithful and just and will forgive us all our sins. We're like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Remember, Jesus says, if you forgive, I will forgive you. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. I mean, he says some harsh things, folks. It's better to know them and deal with them than not know about them at all. But Jesus says, he says, we, if we confess, we'll be forgiven. And I got this messed up for so long in my faith. I was told to repent and say this prayer, the sinner's prayer, and it's a great thing. But I never heard about repenting after that. I thought all I had to do was repent once, and then I could do whatever I wanted to do. And then you couple that with, at 18 years old, with the fact that I can never lose my salvation, never give it up. Boy. It was a license to do whatever I wanted, and evidently God was okay with it. Turns out the consequences weren't fun. And it turns out that's not what the Bible says at all. So it says we follow Jesus, we're going to sin, but we confess, we get right with him. We deal with those sin. You see, the idea, well, look at this, First John 2. He says, my dear children, he sums it up for us this way. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the whole world. So our goal, you and I, our goal is not to sin to live these perfect lives. Anybody get that right? We're like, no, we don't get that right. We sin, of course. So we confess, he and he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. You see, the idea, let me help you out. The idea isn't perfection, the idea is conviction. When you sin, how do you feel about it? If it doesn't bother you and you're not worried about it and you're continuing to live a life completely devoid of God, completely in what he considers sin and it doesn't bother you at all, should you think about your salvation? Absolutely. If you're not even convicted of sin, if it's not on your radar and you're like, I'm good, I'm okay, John's like, no, no. You see, it's one thing to sin, repent, confess. It's one thing to have to deal with it. It's an entirely different thing to habitually continue in a life of sin. You see, walking in darkness is living a life of sin. Living in that sin, not worried about that sin, and doing whatever you want, whenever you want, acting like God doesn't exist at all. And John says, if that's what you think... But you claim to know God. He's like, you don't know Jesus. 
You just need to understand that either you're walking with them or you're not. There's, that's it. You're either walking with them or you're not. It's not about perfection, but it's about conviction. And if you're walking with Christ when you do sin and you know it's a sin, not like one of these things you didn't know it was a sin and you, whatever. But like if you are walking with Christ and you sin, it's going to eat you up. You say, Brian, how do you know? Because I did it. Y'all ever 18, 19, 20 years old? Y'all ever do that? Oh, just me again, huh? Y'all are lying, okay? Again. Yeah, so you live in this life, and then every time I'd go with my friends, I would be miserable the next day or that evening. They looked like they'd having so much fun. I'm like, why am I not experiencing this like them? Everything we did was fun, and it seemed fun in the moment, but then it would eat me up. It would bother me on the inside. God would not allow me to just have fun in that. But that's a good thing. He was dealing with me. He was pulling me back. What needs to concern you if you live a lifestyle like that and it doesn't bother you, that needs to concern you. You need to think about it. You need to pray about it. You need to ask, do you even know Jesus? Because conviction, it's not a bad thing. Conviction just lets us know that something's wrong. It lets us know that something's not right and we got to work through that. And I, I strongly believe the idea of following Christ is significantly more helpful than talking about being saved. Are you following Christ? Are you following him? You see, because when the Bible talks about salvation, did you know it doesn't just talk about salvation somewhere in the past? It, talks about all, it uses all three tenses. I'll show you. Look at this. It says, we have been saved. It says 2 Timothy 1.9, he has saved us, that's in the past, and called us to live a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purposes and grace. This is where we get the idea of justification, meaning that when we believe we come to Christ, we're immediately justified, being declared right with God because of Jesus Christ. But that's not all it says. Look at the next one. It says we're being saved. Sanctification, that's where this idea comes from. Nope, next yeah, we are being saved. 1 Corinthians 1.18, that's present, right? For the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, like a continual thing, like my salvation's working itself out. Yeah, being saved, it is the power of God. So Brian, hold on, hold on, what do you mean being saved? Yeah, we're continually being saved. Like that's happening now with, with us, the sanctification process. Listen, we're continually being saved from the power of Satan, from the power of sin. We're being saved from our, well, our mistakes and our choices, but we're being saved from death. Did you know death no longer holds any, it's, it's not your master, death's gone. From here, we transfer over into life. Like we already, if you know Christ, you already have eternal life. It's a continuation. I love this quote. I don't have it up here. It says this. Sanctification is moving from unbelief in Jesus to belief in him in the everyday stuff of life. Do you believe in Jesus for the everyday stuff of life? It's the idea of being saved. And then it says we shall be saved. Future tense. We shall be saved. Romans 5, 9 through 10. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Oh, I'm, that too. We're also being saved from God's wrath. Okay, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? And this is the theological idea of glorification. 
It speaks to the future event. When, we, when the God's wrath is cast out, and we are saved from that, and we are made right with him. And so salvation happened. You made this decision, but it's continuing to work itself out. And then sometime in the future, it will all come into consummation when we see Christ. When we talk about salvation, many times in church, we talk about being saved to this one-time thing. We don't think about that it's this whole lifelong process. That we were saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. And while the Bible uses several word pictures to describe our relationship with Jesus, father, child, vine, branches, shepherd, sheep, the picture he comes back to over and over again is following him. Following him. And following Jesus helps us understand and describes our relationship, the aspect of salvation with him. Because if you follow Jesus, you got to start sometime. That's the, the beginning. I'm justified. I made a decision. I'm headed down this path. And then if I'm following Jesus, that means we're going somewhere. We're walking together. That's that sanctification, being saved. And then if I'm following him, that means I'm going to end up somewhere, right? We're going somewhere. That's the, the end, the consummation, the glorification. So if we think of Jesus as following, if we're following him, if that's what salvation is referring to, it then hits all three tenses of salvation that we need to think through. That we are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. And so the question I want you to wrestle with, and I, and I pray that you actually wrestle with this, is are you following Jesus not do you come to church? Are you following Jesus? Are you interested in him? So let's go to our questions then. If we go back to our questions and it says this, or excuse me, if we understand it as a relationship and it takes priority like a marriage relationship does, let's go back to our questions. It says, what about once saved, always saved? Well, can we once follow and never follow again? Changes the whole dynamic of how we think about it. The idea of once saved, always saved, that's the belief that nothing can ever take our salvation from us. Snatch your salvation from us. When you're standing before somebody who's threatening to be, uh, behead you, how important is the assurance of your salvation? Yeah, back, the reason why they were assured of salvation is because they were being martyred and killed, not because they'd rather fish. There's a big difference there, right? I like fishing too, so no offense to fishermen, I'm just saying. Like it's not, we, we don't need to be assured about our salvation if we want nothing to do about the things of God. The once saved means that nothing can snatch. That's what John, um, Jesus says in John 6. Nothing can snatch, nothing can pull you, nothing can take you away from a father's hand. We're assured of our salvation when we're following Jesus Christ. That nothing can take it from us. But once saved, always saved has never been to give us assurance of living a sinful life and feeling like we're going to heaven in that sinful life. That doctrine has never spoke to that, and it never should speak to that. It's not what that's about. But doubting is normal. But just think about it this way. Not, not am I struggling and believing, am I trying to figure this out, but am I following Jesus? So go to our next question that asks this. If a person loses contact with God after baptism, is he or she heaven bound? I don't know when this person got baptized or what that's necessarily referring to, but especially for us as Baptists, we strongly believe and are very open about the fact that baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is important. Baptism's a decision that you make, kind of like a wedding ring. It's, it's, it's an important symbol of something that's happening on the outside of my life. But we do not believe baptism saves you. 
And baptism shouldn't give you false assurance. Baptism is something we do to openly express and let everybody else know that we are committing to following Jesus, that we are open to follow Jesus, and then we get baptized because he told us to. Like That's how that works. He says to do it, so we do it openly and publicly. But baptism doesn't save you. And so if someone loses contact after they baptism, what seems to be there is that the baptism held something or did something. The baptism is important, but it doesn't save you and it doesn't assure you of your salvation. But it's absolutely something you should do if you've never done it. I'd say follow the Lord in baptism. And so if we think about this question of if we lose contact with, with God after baptism, well, how can we lose contact with God if we're following him? And I know these questions are hard, but it helps us think through them a little bit more. If you're following, you don't lose contact. You may not follow well. You may struggle well. I mean, we have his word. We have contact with God right here. So think about that. Pray about that. I would ask him more bluntly, what happens when you turn your back on Jesus? I don't know. I can't speak to somebody's heart, but what we are told is that he invites us into this relationship with him. You see, I guess at the end of the day, what they're asking is, can you lose your salvation? If I walk away from Jesus, does it matter? Absolutely, it matters. See, there are two camps of thought theologically. It doesn't matter where you land. It means the same thing at the end. One camp says, well, hold on. Can you lose your salvation? No, you can't lose your salvation like Scott loses his car keys. Because he does. You, you can't just like misplace it somewhere and not know where it goes. No, nobody actually believes that. That you could just like forget it somewhere. Like you left it in the office and it's gone. The theological idea behind this, there's two camps. They both end up at the same place. They say, can I lose your salvation? No. So they say, well, how about this? Can you give your salvation up? Oh, better question. Can you give up your salvation? One camp says, no, you can never give up your salvation. They were actually never saved anyways. Like, like, okay, so they never knew the Lord. They never knew the Lord. That's why they walked away. Okay. The other side says, yes, they did know the Lord, but they gave it up. Theologically, whether you're Calvinist or you're Arminius, if you don't even know what those mean, whatever spectrum you land on, at the end of the day, nobody gives any assurance for people who are openly not following Jesus as if sometime in the past makes it okay. Nobody says that's okay. Like no theological spectrum does. Are you following him? Are you interested in the things of God or are you not? It's, are you walking in the light or are you walking in darkness? And listen, we all struggle with following Jesus. None of us get this perfect. We all, we all owe God our everything because of his mercy and his love and his grace. I mean, none of us will get this right. Addictions, they can plague us our whole life. Right, decisions we made, sin that we committed, those things can impact us over the course of a life. And so it's not like I come to Christ and all of a sudden I'm just perfect. Absolutely not. You're still human. You still got a whole bunch of garbage to work through. We're saved by grace. But are we interested in the things of Jesus? Are you even concerned about him? Not going to church to make your mom happy. Not going to church because it's a church. I mean, are you interested in this relationship with the Lord of the world? Do you want to know him? So no matter where you are, no matter what you've been through or where you're at, you're invited into a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And in that relationship, he saves you. He saves you from your sin. He saves you from death. He saves you from Satan. And he wants to redeem you. He wants you to spend eternity with him. When we think about that relationship, think about it more like a marriage rather than fire insurance. To get to know him. To spend time with him. Because at the end, that's what heaven is. Being with him. And if you're not interested in being with him and knowing him, you probably won't like heaven very much. That's why this is important. Do you know him? Doesn't mean we're going to get it right, but consider it. So are you following Jesus? And like a marriage, the invitation to follow Jesus is often made with a vow. That's what that sinner's prayer. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the sinner's prayer, just like there's nothing wrong with the vow. But it's not the prayer or the vow. It's what's the follow through behind them. Do we get that? I can make a vow to have a marriage. That means nothing if I don't follow through with it. When I'm making a vow or I'm praying that, Lord Jesus, save me, it's the follow-through that matters. That I'm asking him, yes, but it's that continuing living as if he is saving me and I'm not saving myself. But we confess that and we live in that. And so today I ask you, wherever you're at, whatever your relationship with Jesus looks like, I ask you to kind of do business with the Lord. Scott's going to lead us in a song. Scott, you can go ahead and come on up. Scott's going to lead us in a song. It's one of my favorite songs ever. And it's just called Nothing. We're still doing nothing else, right? Yeah, all right, we're still doing nothing else. So you'd have changed, we'd have been upset, okay? But we're still doing nothing else. And the whole song is about, you've heard it before. The whole song is about that nothing else. It's Jesus. It should be Jesus. That should be the most important thing in your life. You say, well, Brian, it's not. I know. Things constantly compete with that. That's why we pray. That's why we confess. That's why we worship. We keep reminding ourselves that it's about Jesus. And it needs to be about Jesus. So what I ask is that while while Scott plays this, I ask you to sit and pray, to think. Not to make you feel guilty, not to make you feel bad, but I ask you to do business with the Lord. And just listen to these words. And I ask that this song is the prayer of your heart. And if you want to come up front, I'll be up here. If you want to talk, if you want me to pray with you, I'll absolutely do that. But if you want to spend a lot more time, my information, I will spend as much time as you need, whether it's after this service or later on this week, we can get together. But where you just do business with the Lord, Scott, let me pray and then you can go into it, okay? Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you and thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that you chose to show mercy and make salvation available to us all. Father, we come to you this morning openly confessing we don't get it right. But we know you love us anyways. So Father, help us live in your grace. Father, we commit our lives to you this morning. We ask that you renew our faith. We ask you strengthen our faith. We ask that you invade our lives to show us what we need to follow you. Father, help us take that next step in faith, whatever it may be. Help us be assured of our love for you because of your love for us. Father, we thank you that we don't have to save ourselves. Father, we pray for those family members and friends that have walked away or turned their back to you. Lord, we don't understand how that works. We don't understand why they did it. But Father, you know, and we just pray and ask you to call them back to you. 
pray, we pray that they will seek you. We pray and ask that you never give up on them. Like you never give up on us. Heavenly Father, we love you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.